in the, uh, towards the latter end, really, of, of the book of John. And if you would turn to John chapter 16, if you don't have a Bible, there's one that looks like this under the seat in front of you. On page 526, you'll find uh, John 16. And uh, Wendy has been a member here for about a year and involved in our children's ministry as well as uh, in women's discipleship. So, Wendy, would you please read John 16, 1 through 15. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because of I, I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, he will, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, I mentioned, uh, as we prayed earlier, that Pastor Chuck is away with his family, so you can be praying for them as they have that time together to, to bond and to, just to deepen those relationships, so uh, be praying for them. In his stead, I have the privilege of introducing our, our guest uh, preacher this morning, uh, Dennis Newkirk. That name should be familiar. It is uh, Pastor Chuck's father. Uh, Dennis, uh, really a privilege to, to hear him preach for us the next two Sundays. Actually, he'll be here. Uh, Dennis has been a local pastor, uh, pastor of a, a church for the past 43 years. So I recently retired. And um, one of the things that is an encouragement to me is that he's not retired permanently. He, he may have retired from being a, a pastor of a church, but he's certainly still active and involved in ministry. And one of the ministries that he's involved in is in caring for and supporting and encouraging other pastors. So you can pray for him as he uh, has that special privilege of, of caring for other pastors that, that have needs. So would you please uh, welcome Dennis Newkirk. Chuck was a, a member of the church I pastored for years and years, and now uh, 
it's uh, I'm speaking in his church and uh, it's, a, it's really an emotional uh, and, and wonderful thing so uh, I hope that I don't embarrass him today and if I, I do uh, don't tell tell him uh, you know but he wouldn't let me live it down uh, I heard from Chuck this morning uh, they're in the Museum of the Bible as a matter of fact right now and uh, that is an incredible place if you ever go to DC you really should go uh, Taj Wright I do uh, I am involved in a ministry to pastors and uh, so why that anyway of all the things you do uh, why that well uh, it's because uh, pastors and their families are so in need. Church members usually do not know this, but they're so in need. Uh, one source says that only one out of ten that start, only one pastor will retire from the ministry. Uh, now, you know, I'm not an expert on, on statistics, uh, and I don't know that. It seems like it's, it's short. Uh, it seems like uh, unbelievable, but I do know that many, many pastors leave the ministry for a variety of reasons. And one is they need a pastor and they don't have one. And so that's what I do. I pastor pastors and it's, uh, it's my joy. Well, uh, would you pick up your Bible again and let's look at John number 16 and uh, let's kind of dissect it. Uh, look at it carefully in sections to see what what it's saying. Jesus is in a part of uh, his life and ministry now, which he's speaking to his disciples in what we call the upper room discourse. It started in chapter 13 and it ends in chapter 17. So this passage, the upper room discourse, what is it about? Jesus is within hours of his arrest, maybe a couple of hours away from being arrested in Gethsemane. And uh, so he is giving his disciples the, the last instructions. He's trying to prepare them for what they're about to face. And uh, they have gathered in a room just out inside of the gates, eastern gates of Jerusalem, and they're celebrating the Passover. I think it's the last Passover meal. He turns the Passover into the Lord's Supper at that point. Uh, and so uh, he's spending this time, he's instructing them. It is a very emotional time, and we have the privilege of looking in. Now in chapter 16, Jesus really says two things. Number one, I'm going away. You need to accept this. I'm going away. The second thing that he says is, I'm going to send the Spirit. Now, let's see how that all plays out and why that's been recorded for us, why it is important to us. Uh, I'm going to begin, actually, in John 15. I think this thought actually originates in John 15. So if uh, your, your Bible is open... Let's begin in verse 26. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from 
the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. The idea of falling away is not the idea of losing your salvation. That can't happen. It's not yours to lose. Uh, but what, what he is talking about is becoming disabled by the discouragement that they're going to have. And um, uh, he's trying to prevent that in their lives. Verse number two, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Okay, so uh, Jesus' statement is, is really pretty clear here. He's trying to tell them the persecution's on the way. And you need to know that trouble is, is on the way. It's just the hour has come for that. So you need to be prepared for it. Then verse number four says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour come, you will remember that I told them to you. So Jesus is going to, in the next chapter, conclude his upper room discourse. He's going to walk out the eastern gate of Jerusalem. He's going to walk down through the Kidron Valley up on the side then of the Mount of Olives. He will pray there for about an hour, and it's that point that Judas will come and he will betray Jesus with a kiss to identify him, and now, then Jesus will be arrested. He will go through a number of trials, and he will ultimately be beaten and crucified. And so that's, that's where we are, and that's the urgency of this moment. See, it's really urgent. Uh, these, these are the, the last words he can say to prepare these men for what's about to happen. And then he goes on to say, uh, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. All right, and so what Jesus is, is, is saying here is uh, I could walk you through the things that we were going to face before, but I'm not going to be with you, and so I need to tell you now. You know, one of the things that the Scripture clearly teaches us is that salvation fundamentally changes us. It fundamentally changes us. Uh, not only are we transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And not only are we given eternal salvation, uh, as though that wasn't enough, but that's wonderful, it's amazing. But not only that, but now we have a whole new set of values, a new ways of doing things, a way of looking at things. Uh, I mean, 
Our behavior should be changing because the Lord is at work in our lives. And so things are changing, you see, in our lives as believers. And, and no society has ever accepted these changes. Please hear that. From the first century to now, no society ever accepts the changes, the changes in view, the changes in values, the, the changes in life that, that happen because Christ is in us. And so he's saying to them, I think to us, antagonism and hatred are coming. He warns them that they're going to be attacked, they're going to be excommunicated, which was a huge, huge thing in a Jew's life, and you will be, some of you will be executed. And that's, uh, according to church uh, tradition, that is exactly what happened. All right, <clears throat> and I might say, it's still happening. Do you know that it's still happening? Uh, you know, uh, there are those who pray for the persecuted church, and we should. I mean, it, if you just look at it, what is happening in the, in the world, uh, I just read this past week that uh, on January the 17th, 2017, Fox News ran a news story that said, in the last de decade, nearly a million Christians have been killed worldwide. A million Christians. Uh, North Korea, S Somalia, Afghanistan is the worst right now, but many other places through the world, the Christians are being uh, enslaved, they're being put in prisons, and uh, some are losing their, their lives. Well, what about here in America? None of us, none of that's not happening to any of us. Well, just this past week, I, I read an article from Kevin DeYoung, and he says this. Let's not minimize the extent to which traditional Christianity and traditional Christians are facing increasing intolerance in this country. The fines, the lawsuits, the job loss, the public disdain, these are not figments of the imagination. No amount of PR work is going to rescue the church from being thought by some as backward and bigoted. You know, the watchword of our generation is tolerance. We are to be tolerant. It is though that is the most important value that there is, that, that America is being seen as being totally tolerant. But here's the problem with that. Christianity is exclusive. We believe that there's one way to God, and that's through Jesus. We believe that there is Black and white, we believe that there is truth and that there is error. There's ultimate truth, there's ultimate error. Uh, there are some things that are acceptable to us, some things that should not be 
acceptable to us. Not only should we not do that, but we should actually speak in the public square against it. Now, this intolerance in Christians' lives, this intolerance is being met by the culture with intolerance. Now, that's the bizarre thing here. The culture says, be tolerant, be tolerant, be tolerant. Except we're going to be intolerant of you Christians. See how, how bizarre that re really is? Uh, so uh, that's happening today. It has always happened. And uh, if, you, if you've never experienced this, it, it, as Kevin DeYoung said, it, if you've never experienced the problems that come with association with Jesus, I'd have to ask you why. You live in this world, you live in this culture, so why would it be that you haven't experienced the rejection that can come from it? Well, could it be that Christ is really not being seen in you? Let's go on, verse six, chapter 16. Jesus says that the disciples will become the focus of the same persecution that has been leveled to them, uh, to him, and they should not be surprised. They should recognize it for what it is. We should not be surprised. We should recognize it for what it is. All right, verse number five. But now I am going to him who sent me. I'm going to die, and I'm going to go back to heaven. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Uh, now, here, here's what he's saying. Uh, for, for over a year, he has explained to them that, that he is going to die, that he will be the suffering servant Messiah, not the ruling, reigning Messiah that they had longed for. And so Jesus is, is saying, I'm going to die. They so did not want to hear that that they would not react to it. It's like if I ignore it, it'll go away. But now they see things heating up. Opposition is growing stronger and stronger. And they can recognize from what's happening around them and the rhetoric that's being said, uh, the, the things that are being done, they can tell that what he has been warning them about is coming to pass. And so Jesus said, you haven't asked me about this. I've been telling you, you haven't wanted to talk about it. But now sorrow is filling your heart. And certainly we can understand that. Verse number seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I can just imagine the disciples saying, what? What, what are you talking about? This is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. Jesus saying, you're going to be better off when this happens. And so he goes on to say, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, could we go back to that word, the helper, just a minute? I would imagine Chuck has talked to you about this, but I've been gone from the services. I've been speaking other places. Uh, so I don't know exactly what he said. 
The word helper that's translated here is translated other ways in different versions. Uh, the, the, in the original language, is paraclete, which comes from two words, para, beside, kaleo, which means I'm called, or I call. So the paraclete is the one sent from the Father to us, to be beside us, even in us. You see, now uh, he, he goes on. Well, before I, I, I do that, uh, what are some of the other translations for the word paraclete? Well, it could be the encourager or the empowerer or the guider or the comforter. All of these would be words that would be legitimately used to, to describe parakletos. And that's what Jesus is saying. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Now, this is the world he's talking about here. He's not talking about Christians. He's talking about the world. He will convict the world, the non-believing world, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The ultimate sin. They do not believe in him. Uh, and concerning sin, because they do not believe in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and now you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world, and he is going to begin this work, and he will work through the disciples. This is not somehow by osmosis. He's going to work through those that he is in. And he's going to speak to the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, of course, is their rebellion against God. Righteousness is the life that could be lived, the life that Jesus lived. And judgment is the consequences of the sin. So Jesus is saying, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, and then he's going to speak through you to the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's why in Acts 1.8 it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That's, that's the, the reason for that. And uh, so Jesus said, I, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, I, you can bear them, you can learn about them when the Holy Spirit is in you. You can stand them after you see me resurrected, but you couldn't handle it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit hears to glorify Jesus. He does not glorify himself. He, he glorifies Jesus. For what? Uh, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I uh, said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so Jesus is making this clear. And I, I want to reiterate just one final time. 
He's saying, I've been with you. I've been there here to protect you, to talk with you, to guide you, to prepare you. And now I am going away. I am leaving you. I will not be here for you. He's not here for us physically now. But, verse 7 says, nevertheless, I will, I, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, because if I go, I will send him to you. Why is it advantageous for Jesus to go away? Because the Spirit will come to all of us. The, the helper will be in us. Now, if you go back to chapter 14, I imagine Chuck pointed this out, but let me do it as well. In chapter 14, we find one little word that really is helpful to us. In chapter 14, verse number 16, Jesus has already said to them, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. He, he could have said uh, heteros, he could have said alas. Heteros, uh, another of a different kind, uh, kind and, or another one just like me. He uses that word, another one just like me. As I have been, now he will be. Now, the significance of this is very hard to overstate. The impact on our lives is beyond enormous. I mean, think through this. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Spirit back to you, and uh, he's going to be in you, so, what do we know about the Spirit? Well, number one, we know that he's God. Recently, uh, Chuck talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, gave you that, that diagram of the Trinity, so I'm not going to do that. But he's God. Next, he is a person. He's not an it. Never in Scripture is he called an it. Always he. In fact, in verses 7 through 15, he's called he, referred to in this way, as, with this kind of pronoun, he is called, uh, mentioned nine times. So he is a, a personality. He is a being. He comes to live in us. And in us, he can be quenched. He can be discouraged. Uh, he can be grieved. All of those things are true, you see. And so uh, he is a person. And he is here to replace the physical Jesus. And he has come, Scripture says, he's come to indwell us. In the Old Testament, he came upon to give strength to people. But now, in the age in which we live, now he comes to live within us. Literally, when we're saved, he comes to live in us, God in us, God in us, the Spirit living in us always. We're never alone. He never abandons us. He'll never leave us. He lives in us. 
And what is he doing in us anyway? Well, the scripture says he's doing a lot of different things. Let me give you just a few. Number one, not as he comes to indwell us, he begins to produce what's called fruit. Galatians 5, you might want to look there. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. I'll read it to you in a minute. He comes to produce the life of Christ in you. How did Jesus live his life? Well, we've watched him as you've uh, studied through John. Uh, now, the, a summary of his attributes and attitudes are found in this passage. This is how Jesus lived. That's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to create in you. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy, the ability to sit down on the inside. Uh, peace. Uh, patience. Patience. Boy, the Lord is working in my life and has been for years about patience. Uh, Naturally, I'm not a patient person, not at all. I mean, I, I get frustrated waiting for the microwave to finish. You know, uh, going to a store, if there's three people there, I'm out. If there's three people in line, I'm not going to wait. Uh, that, so being impatient is a sinful kind of attitude. The Holy Spirit is wanting to develop in me patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Doesn't that person sound wonderful? That person sounds awesome. And that's the person Christ is working in you through the Holy Spirit to make you. Another thing that he's doing is when he came to you, he gave you a spiritual gift. What's that? It is a special God-given ability to serve the Lord with relative ease and effectiveness. You didn't have it before. After he comes into your life, he gives you this ability. It, they're found, by the way, in the list form in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and, let's see, 1 Peter 4. That's where you can can look them up. You have received a spiritual gift, special God-given ability to serve him. Every Christian should be a minister. What's your ministry? Not only the duties that we have, but these special God-given abilities. Uh, the Lord's given me a, uh, a gift of teaching. Uh, and you know, personality-wise, I'm very much an introvert. Uh, the fact that I'm up here makes me very uncomfortable. I've done this for 43 years, always uncomfortable because I'm an introvert. But you see, overriding that is the Lord has given me the spiritual gift of teaching. Marcia has a number of spiritual gifts. One of them is showing mercy. I don't have that. Not at all. I don't want, even want it. But sh she has it. Are you down? Do you need something? Are you hurting? Come. She will take care of you. It drives me crazy, but that is exactly what is going to happen. So he, he gives us gifts. He gives us the power to live for him. Let me read to you a fairly obscure passage that's not often read. Galatians 3.3, 3, it says, Are you Galatians Christians so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, 
being saved by the work of the Holy Spirit in you? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, and this is important for, for us, you cannot produce the Christian life. You cannot make yourself into what God has called you to be. It is an impossibility. If you're discouraged with your attitude, with your thought life, with the things that you do, understand this. If you're trying to change yourself, you will never do it. The flesh cannot do it. But the spirit in you can change the person that you are. Now, one other passage, and I would regret not putting it in your, your notes, is Ephesians 5.18. This is such a crucial passage. I don't know how I could have left it out, uh, but make a note of it, if you would, and let me read it to you. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's a word we don't use very often. It means excessiveness, wild excessiveness. Do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The verb is used like this, but be filled and be filled and be filled. It is not something that happens just once. It continually happens. We are to seek that filling of the Spirit. What does it mean to fill? Well, it's not the idea of I'm going to pour water in some kind of a jug, and when it gets up to the top, it's going to overflow, and so it's full. No, it's not that. This word for filled means uh, uh, to empower, to permeate. It's like uh, a baked potato. You put some salt on it, you mash it up, and everything in the baked potato is influenced by the salt. That's what happens. We're to seek the Holy Spirit in filling in our lives so that every aspect of our life has the taste of Christ. It means to be empowered, like the wind powers a sailboat across the lake. Our lives are be, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit who God has sent to us, directed, guided, the same way. Our lives can be directed through the Word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to it. And so we are to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. How did you do that anyway? I think it's this. We read the word. We pray. We seek the things of God. We ask the Lord, Lord, would you fill me today? Uh, I, I sin. I, I, Lord, I confess that as sin. Lord, I pray that you just fill me. Come and control me. Come and change the person that I am. You see, I, it, we, we are filled with the Spirit, and he creates the life of Christ, the Galatians chapter 5, and he empowers us to serve, and he changes the person that we are. And oh, that's so needed today, because so many churches and so many Christians are, are trying to do what they do, trying to live the Christian life in their own power, and you cannot do it. There's no way. It's a miraculous thing, and you can't produce the miraculous. Let me close with this quote from Francis Chan. It says, the church 
becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we are made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and the, or the, uh, apart from the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Life is all about the Spirit in us. I've gone so long. Don't tell Chuck, okay? Let's just not tell Chuck. Uh, you know, you don't have to lie. Just don't tell him. And uh, all will be good. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for these dear friends. And I pray, Lord, that the Spirit would just empower this church and these individual lives. We pray for those who have not yet come to Christ. And we ask you, Lord, that they might see what life can be as they receive Christ. In Jesus' name.